Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. I'm going to start this one out by, it's funny how God works. There are times when I have guests lined up way down the road, and we've talked about it for months, and sometimes I'll do a little bit of a spiritual litmus test. I say, God, who are you sending my way? And I'll, I'll just throw something out as a dart to a few people. And our guest today was quick to jump on it. And I feel like as we first got on here and started talking pre-taping, that Brian Smith was a longtime friend because I've heard him now on three podcasts, reading his book and uh, called The Christian Athlete, which we will talk much more about. But he uh, does a great work that I'm a big fan of, Athletes in Action, as a partner of, of my day job, the gathering of the Miami Valley, where we connect men to men and men to God. And they're kind of in that space of athletes, coaches, and where Jesus intercepts there somewhere in the middle and all over. And uh, I don't know who your direct boss is, Brian, but your head boss, the big guy, Mark Householder's a great friend. We, we try to do lunch a couple times a year. I go to a lot of, I uh, uh, hope they're coming back soon, Night of Champions events in Xenia. Yeah. And uh, Jerry Denninger, who's also a very close friend of one of my board members. So um, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. I wear, I tell people my, my day job, the gathering, I have some gear, but I wear more athletes in action gear than I wear gathering gear. So if that tells <laughs> you what it. a big fan I am of uh, what you do. So uh, welcome and thanks for joining the Pinkleton Pool Aside podcast today, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. And nobody can see it, but you do have on a Detroit Pistons hoodie which I'm 52 years old, back in the day, I don't know if I've cared about sports and a team as much as the Isaiah Thomas, Vinny Johnson, mm. Joe Dumars, Detroit Pistons. The bad the microwave, boys. Vinny Johnson, yeah. let's go. So you're, you're a fan of all things Detroit, right? Yeah, almost, I mean, not a great way to start a Christian-type podcast, but at, at almost an idolatrous level. Like, I, football's my first love, and I love the Detroit Lions, but I follow all Detroit sports and yeah, wear all their gear whenever I get a chance to. Well, and I had the chance to send you a little thing I was reading the other day. I forgot which book it was offhand, but the author made a joke. I think it was in Brand Hansen's new book, who's been on this podcast called The Men We Need. And he made a joke about, you know, suffering in life and how difficult it is. And he said, you know, the last line of the paragraph was, it's kind of like being a Detroit Lions fan. And you just when I said that to you, you just kind of laughed like no pain, no agony. It's just like well, it's the reality of what it is. You chuckled and ran with it. Yeah, because Jeff, this time of year for a Detroit Lions fan is all optimism. The yeah. draft is coming up, and the Lions usually have an outstanding pick. And there's just optimism surrounding Detroit sports around this time of year. It's if you would have made that joke in November, mm-hmm. then then maybe I would not have responded in the same way. But I, like I'm all on board Detroit Lions 2022-23 season. Let's go full optimism here. That's just kind of the cycle of, of being a fan of Detroit sports, at so, least the last few years. So you're a demon deacon since you ran you ran at, at Wake Forest. But growing mm-hmm. up, obviously, you were not a demon deacon fan. Were you a Wolverine or were you a Spartan? 
I grew up as a Michigan Wolverine fan. Yeah. And then, yep, went to Wick Forest, ran track and cross country there, and then moved to Wisconsin uh, to marry my high school sweetheart. And we lived in Wisconsin for oh, 15 years. And so my loyalties to University of Michigan died down really quickly. And yeah, it's, they're probably at the top of my list of teams that I will cheer against now just because of the rivalry with Wisconsin. Okay, so let's stay there for a minute. So you got a Final Four in basketball, let's say, or you know, you're you're in hockey territory. So we could say the Frozen Four. You got well, Wake Forest probably doesn't have hockey, but you got Wisconsin, Michigan, Wake Forest, and whoever else. So you're telling me you probably got to go to Wake Forest, right? Just because you went there. Of those four teams, um, public publicly, I would probably say Wake Forest, but I would be like I, the Badgers have my heart just because of doing ministry there for so many years. I mean, yeah, I'm a I'm an alumni of Wake Forest, but I my heart's at Wisconsin. That's crazy. So that's that's wild because uh, so growing up, and I've got a number of friends. I, so I live in Springfield, Ohio, and good friends of ours. They're former next door neighbor for years, and we went to church together. Was Travis and Julie Trice, who obviously have a son, Demetric, who played basketball mm-hmm. up at Wisconsin. So yeah, there's a little connection for you. And of course, we got some good wrestling in our neck of the woods up here at Graham and uh, Graham's had some wrestlers going to wrestle at Wisconsin. So there's yeah, some area. Dimitri would show up time and time again at our athletes in action events when we were at Wisconsin. Okay, cool. Yeah, great guy. Did you get a chance to meet his parents at all or his brother, Travis? Uh, I don't know if I ever did meet his parents. No. Okay. Yeah. They were at our church for a number of years and they go to a pretty decent sized church down Cincinnati way now. So anyway, well, Hey, let's enough on all that. Let's talk about you. Give me the three-minute Brian Smith testimony that I've already heard before, but our listeners have not, and uh, it's good. So I like that the, the, sometimes we need some safe testimonies, and yours is a little bit more on the uh, safe side. So give us give us that three-minute testimony. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my parents uh, prioritized faith in our family very early on, so we were regular church attenders, went to a Christian Bible camp when I was 11 or 12. I don't know exactly the how old I was at the time, but it was sometime around those years and heard the gospel clearly presented. And it was at that time when I made my decision that I, yeah, I wanted to surrender my life to Jesus and trust him as my Lord and Savior. I didn't know, and I'll get into this in a little bit, but I didn't really know what that meant. I believe the gospel, but my view of it was a little skewed. Um, That was evident by my senior year of high school when we were leaving. Kind of our youth group was really tight. There were probably 15 or 20 of us that just hung out all the time, loved our youth pastor. But he had mentioned on our way out as we're all going to different colleges, some crazy statistic of people who grow up in and around the Christian faith and their tendency to fall away from that faith once they would go off to college. And I forget what the number was, but it was somewhere between like 70 and 80%. And just the competitor in me was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be one of those people that, that felt like a challenge. But the way I internalized that kind of showed my skewed version of the gospel. It was okay to, to not fall away from the faith means I can't drink, have sex, go to parties, do drugs, and kind of all these like big major, what I consider to be big major sins that a good Christian would not do. And for the most part, when I was at Wake Forest, I stayed away from those, but I did not attend a local church regularly. I was involved as an attender at some of the Athletes in Action events, but it was spotty. Maybe like once a month I would show up 
wasn't really reading my Bible. And so I, I spent four years at Wake Forest playing defense with my faith and not really pursuing God. And I left Wake Forest in 2005, just spiritually dead because I wasn't pursuing God. I was just trying to stay away from doing bad things as best as I could. Um, and that's not what a relationship uh, is with, with anybody. There's a, there's a pursuit that needs to happen. And so, because I grew up in and around the Christian faith, I, I knew at least at a categorical level that uh, the man going into a marriage should some level wear a, a hat of leadership. And so I was about to marry my high school sweetheart coming right out of college and Lindsay was growing like crazy. She was pursuing her faith. She was all offense uh, while she was in college. And so I just had this like moment where it's like, oh crap, I, if I'm going to be the spiritual leader and Lindsay's so far ahead of where I'm at right now, I feel like I have nothing to bring to the table. And so I just opened up my Bible uh, and I started making an effort to, to read. In 2006 was when I read a book that changed my life and it was Desiring God by John Piper. And it was at that time when I understood at a deeper level um, what the gospel really was and that God could be glorified through me being satisfied in him. And there was a joy to be found in walking and surrendering your life to Christ. And it wasn't just a begrudging obedience that God was after, that he was after our heart and our joy. And it has not been easy since then, but it has been much more joyful. And there has been significant growth as I've walked along this path of understanding that God, God wants me to find my joy by by aligning my life with, with him. And yes, there's sacrifice and surrender that's involved in that, but that's where the joy comes in when you align your life with how he created and designed this world to work. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I really relate to what you, when you, when I heard you say some of the box checking things you did at Wake Forest and just kind of being pretty morally sound, I really felt that in my heart that like, wow, Brian and I have a similar path. Cause that was a lot of my testimony. Um, so you've spent, two decades basically pouring into college age kids, students. Mm -hmm. And I've said, so I did high school work for years, but I've said looking at right after high school graduation, for those next two or three years, when people are really becoming who they're going to be, making decisions on their own, mom and dad's not around, you know, you're probably getting to see a lot of people who really flourish under your leadership and the team you've built around. You know, your story's more one after college is when you get serious about the Lord how do you wrestle with, I'm sure your experience and people haven't been involved as long as you have in pouring into college students and college athletes walk away. You know, we're in this, we're in this big cycle of deconstruction. I prefer the term reconstruction when that's used. How do you wrestle with that when you and Lindsay hear of a, uh, a young man or young woman that you poured into at Wisconsin or wherever, they were getting after it, and then all of a sudden, bam, they've walked away something crazy happened. I mean, obviously we don't have control. We're just vessels, ambassadors for Christ being used for his glory. But how do you reconcile this season of life we seem to be in that's going to be here for a while? Yeah. Kind of my mentor, when I first started with Athletes in Action, he would always remind us that we as ministers of the gospel are responsible to people, but we're not responsible for them. And so that has always stuck with both Lindsay and myself. Um, and we see it all the time. Like we've seen people that we had invested significant time and energy into discipling, having them in and around our family who would get married, officiate some of the weddings. And then two months later, he is being unfaithful to his wife and think like, so we, we see it all of the time in ministry. And it's one of those things where it's like, 
you do question, is there something that I, I could have done differently or I should have done differently? But at, at the end of the day, like God is the one who gets the credit for the growth. It's not me. Like I can't come up with this formulate plan where if they just do A, B, C, and D, you put the quarter in the slot and every single time you're going to get this mature Christian who always walks faithfully out on the other end. Like having that perspective is freeing to me because it just allows me to be faithful to what I feel God is calling me to do. And then just because they fall away doesn't mean my relationship with them ends either. There's still a pursuit that happens in the same way that I daily am falling away from Christ and needing to confess and repent. It's it's an opportunity for me to live out the gospel to them too, to help them see even in their shortcomings and even when they when they fall, I'm I'm still going to be in their corner cheering them on and picking them up and hopefully helping set them back on the right trajectory. But it is like it never gets old. And I, I hope it never does. And I never become numb to it. I hope I never do. When people fall away, there's always this like, oh my gosh, not not this person. I thought this was going to be the one that that stayed true and stayed the course. Yeah. I did junior high urban youth ministry for 10 years. And when I run into someone now, this was you know, 15 years ago or whatever when I finished, but seeing someone at the grocery or wherever, and it's like, I've, I've tried to have the attitude, like I'm going to be super excited when someone's doing really well when they're not almost like that's kind of what I thought could happen, not in a bad way, but more like not to set the bar so high. So everybody sees me and they're no, I'm disappointed in them or something like that, but just trying to find out about, and I think, it, I don't know about you. That's that maybe this is a point to land on having in one sense, no expectation because we're just supposed to be faithful. And a word I can tell that applies to you, Brian is available. And yet if I'm going to invest my time and energy and resource into someone, like we're going somewhere, I, you know, here's a, here's a track, here's a discipleship. In a sense, there is expectation. Do you struggle with that? No expectation versus expectation. And you kind of, in a weird way, need both when you're discipling yeah. and pouring into people. Absolutely. And I, I, I did not sit under the teaching of Matt Chandler, but I, I was an obsessive listener to his podcast in the early 2010, 15 era. And he would say time and time again, that every disappointment in life comes from a misplaced expectation. Uh, and that has always stuck with me. And so that doesn't mean you just cut expectations down to, to zero. It just means that you need to have appropriate expectations. And I think within a, a Christian walk, an appropriate expectation is there's absolutely going to be peaks and valleys. But the if if it's a mature, growing Christian, there should be a trajectory, at least, that is moving towards godliness. And again, that doesn't mean there's not going to be seasons of life where there is sin and frustration, but seeing those against the backdrop of hopefully this is just a dip in their, in their trajectory and not, they're not just making a complete downward turn. Sure. Um, this podcast is starting to feel like this is just medication for me. Like you're doing my therapy for me right now, which I probably need way more of. So we'll talk offline about how you can give me more of that. But, um, anyway, so we talked about athletes in action. I told you I'm a big fan because I'm sure a lot of people don't know fully in, in that world what that looks like. What is a week in your life like, Brian? I and mean, maybe blend family into that some, but pouring into students, pouring into coaches. And then what's a year look like? Break down like a week and then a year of your life. Yeah. So my wife and I just moved uh, three years ago from Madison, Wisconsin, where we did campus ministry for a decade. And that meant discipleship during the week. It meant training our disciples how to lead Bible studies, planning for weekly meetings, bringing in speakers, doing initiative and evangelism. We would have a servant leadership team that would come over to our house 
every weekend that we would make food for and train them how to, you know, lead Bible studies, how to share their faith with teammates. That was our rhythm for 10 years, constantly having people come into our house, even when they were not planned to come into our house. So it was hard to even say like, here's what a rhythm was like for us during that stage. It just felt like we had a fully integrated life where everything, like by the time we slept at night, we were still on mission because we never know who was going to show up at our house and needed to do laundries or some crazy thing would happen and they would need to talk about it. Since moving to Michigan, we've had so much more margin in our life, which for the season has felt like a really healthy spot for us to be in. I took a role within Athletes in Action with our Ultimate Training Camp team. And so I've helped plan our summer camps, which is a six-day experience in Colorado. And then we have one in Twin Cities as well. So like right now we are in camp planning mode. We have a hundred athletes at each location still at this point that have signed up, hopefully getting to 150. And we're planning like what, what's going to look like from the time they show up to the time they leave. And then on the back end, we're starting a new Bible study initiative where we're trying to get all of these athletes that are coming in equipped and trained and resourced to go back to their location to lead Bible studies. And so that takes preparation. It takes actually having the Bible studies written and having some system in place where we can help kind of shepherd them along in the process. And so a lot of my time right now is spent, I know the listeners can't see the office that I'm in right now, but it's spent in the office writing curriculum and Bible studies and having conversations with other ultimate training camp leaders on what needs to happen next. A yearly rhythm for me I'm seeing my year in terms of projects right now. And so like I'm planning for camps. I'm in the middle of this book launch with the Christian athlete. I have a really big project that I've been working on since December that won't be done until January, 2023, where we're putting together a documentary on faith and sport. And what does it look like to integrate it in a way that's honoring to God? And we've actually chosen five current college athletes and been to their college and done backstory work on them. And we're going to film them all six days throughout ultimate training camp. And so our dream with that, with that uh, a Netflix or a Hulu or some major streaming service would pick it up. And this would just be season one of something that we can keep doing from here on out to give people, I mean, we always hear about the athlete testimonies, right? But what does it actually look like to see life transformation as staff members, we get a front row seat to that all the time, but there's, hundreds of thousands of people out there who, who just hear the, the three minute version, right? What would it look like for them to actually see it and experience it uh, on the screen? And so that's what we're going to try to do and provide. And so a lot of my role right now is thinking, yeah, what are, what are some of those bigger projects that we can do to reach that external audience at the intersection of faith and sport that needs to hear about Jesus. And they need to hear that Jesus cares about where they're at. We just haven't thought about what's the medium to do that through yet. Now, is that project you're working on, Brian, is that an Athletes in Action thing or is that outside Athletes in Action? It's an Athletes in Action copyrighted project, but we have outsourced it to three different cinematographers who are, I mean, they're award-winning. They're absolutely phenomenal. So, yep, they're doing it in coordination with us. That's pretty cool because you know what's interesting is I I noticed the other day I've got, with with four kids and and a wife who likes to watch some streaming stuff, I've got many of the services that are out there. I think it was Hulu just picked up the Jesus Music movie that came out that was very well done. And you figure the Kendrick Brothers, the Irwins. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there getting some love. So, I mean, you know, five, ten years ago, you're sharing what you're sharing. It's like, hey, good luck. God better really show up. (laughs) Now, it's, I'll tell you what, for people listening, if you, you know, look up 
Athletes in Action. I mean, you Google it, TV, I think it's athletesinaction.org. Obviously, Brian will tell you more about himself later, but that's something we really need to pray about. I, this is the first I've heard of this, and, and I love what that could look like because I'm really – now, granted, I'm a sports guy, but I really love the, uh, like, last chance you, QB1 type of, you know, hard knocks, those type of things. So I would think there's a space for exactly what you're talking about. I mean, let's speak to that for a minute. So how would you most – encourage people to specifically pray for this, Brian, and maybe include timelines in on that if that's appropriate. Yeah, it's a really expensive project. And so that a big part of my role right now is not just helping to lead the project, but to raise money for it. And so that can be one way that people can pray is that the money would come in. Two would be that, yeah, some of these streaming services would see that the niche audience of Christians who also are intrigued by sports or sport fans who are intrigued by Christianity is massive. Like it's just such a massive audience. And so we need, we need people in those high level positions to recognize that and see the opportunity. But then third, and this has been my prayer all along. I I want it to be a film that is glorifying to God and kind of strip away. Here's what I think you can do with it, God. And like, let's just make something that we think is honoring to God and trust that that he's going to get it where it needs to go. And I mean, we're not spending all this money so that two people's lives can be changed. We're really hoping that this is something that will significantly impact hundreds of thousands of people. But God's God's ultimately the one in charge of that. We can just be good stewards of what's in front of us. So just, yeah, those three things, money would come in or people know corporate sponsors or people who would want to give big dollars towards this, pray that streaming services would consider picking this up and then most importantly, pray that it would be glorifying to God. Amen. I'll tell you, I, I listen to podcasts today. I haven't really plugged other podcasts much on here, if at all. But uh, Mike Donahue, who used to be the lead singer for 10th Avenue North, has a podcast called Chasing the Beauty. And he interviewed Andy Irwin. I think his first name is Andy, uh, the Irwin brothers who did American Underdog and, and um, some other flicks. And uh, his, his thinking through and how they got to where they got, failure, victory, I mean, the whole finding their niche, what kind of stories were they meant to tell? You got to check that podcast out. It was it was really good. Just you know, I'm I'm not in a world of thinking like that, but I just love the way they were talking about you know movies and 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 developing story and content. I think they got started by being just camera guys on ESPN back in the day, but seeing where those guys have gone at some of the movies they put out, it's been pretty cool. So, well, we got to move along. I'm going to skip through a couple of things. There was uh, one of the places I really wanted to land with you, Brian, and it's funny you mentioned John Piper earlier. I would put you up there, and this is, I want to keep this praise humble, but it's still high. You and your book talking about God's glory, it's up there to me with John Piper. I mean, as far as just your perspective, uh, where do you kind of challenge some things? Talking about God's glory is not just something we do. If it's as simple as we want a game and we go in front of a camera and say, glory to God for letting us win this game, um, really speak into God's glory and how you see it and how you unpacked it in your book, The Christian Athlete, which has been out for about a month now, I think, right? Yeah, well, it's been, I think today is actually a full week since it's been out. Yeah, it's yeah, been a full week. A week for you is a month for me, so. There you go, there you go. And yeah, so I would hope it sounds Piper-esque because I am taking everything that I've learned from him and putting it to paper. And so like I... A lot of my discipleship and thinking about glory and how it applies not just to sport, but to life in general and kind of getting into the the practicalities of it comes from John Piper's influence over me, 
Matt Chandler's influence and Tim Keller's as well. Like, even though I've never met any of these people, their, their sermons and their books and their podcasts have been so stinking significant in my own journey with Christ. And it's helped me to shape and have a lens through like, okay, how can I take what I'm learning and desiring God and apply this in a completely different context uh, of sport has been fun for me. It's like, I'm, I'm taking the same things that he's saying but there's there's a small bridge to the worlds of athletics that it's it's just how, how does this apply as a coach or how does this apply during practice the same concept that piper's talking about over here how can this apply during a game or a competition it's fun for me to think through i love how you've mentioned the three people that you don't know and i believe that same thing but they've greatly mentored you was there a moment or time where you just really latched on to like okay this is all really about god's glory and I need to focus on God's glory, period. It was when I read Desiring God in 2006, it flipped a switch for me that that I now, like every time I'm reading God's word or I'm listening to a sermon, like I'm picking up on phrases like when God says, for my name's sake or for my glory, like anything that's pointing back to this idea that he wants everything to be done for his glory. I, I feel like I just catch that all the time in his word. And so my Bible's just, I'm like boxing that in and circling it every time I see it. And so it, it has helped influence just how I read and listen and to even what I pick up on in culture when people are saying things like all glory to God, but then it doesn't look like their actions are actually <laughs> backing that up. Again, it's just this framework that I'm constantly trying to think through. Like if life really is all about God, how does that, I'm really big into practicality because you can say the right things mm -hmm. and it can sound really good on a podcast, but what does that actually look like to apply this in real life? Not just in sports, but, but in everything, in a marriage or in parenting, how can you apply the concept of God's glory and pursuing that in all these different avenues of life is, it almost hurts my head to think about, but the more you think about it, it's not like you've come to this place of ultimate knowledge. It's like you you just open yourself up to more questions and opportunities to, to think about it. Yeah. It's interesting. I think about, you know, like one of, one of the books to me, it's really meant a lot and had impact like, like Piper's has for you is A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy. He talks mm -hmm. about God's glory in there. And I think about, you know, I've been able to bring in for what I do, a, a lot of name, big platform, high level leader speakers. And I've noticed the thread with some of those guys that, you know, just God's glory is preeminent in their lives. That's something they seek. It's something they pursue. They want God to be glorified in all things. And you made a comment in the book I thought was really interesting. You said, you say the locker room may be the most effective way of glorifying God. Elaborate on that. Yeah, this pushes against what I think is what we understand culturally at the intersection of faith and sport, what glorifies God. And I think it can be so easy for us to, to think that what God is most glorified in is through athletic success. But as I read the Bible, I'm, I'm seeing a God who is glorified through his two great commandments that Jesus gave us to love God and to love other people. And can you do that through competition and winning? Like, absolutely. But when I was an athlete um, and working with athletes, like the, the amount of time we spend as athletes actually competing is really, really small in comparison to everything else that encompasses our lives as an athlete. But one of the main 
things that stays consistent is that we're connected with our teammates in the process. And so whether we're competing or in practice or just our living situation or hanging out in the margins, our teammates become the, the really the main people that we're, that we're around for, if you're in college for four or five, it's COVID six, potentially seven years, but those are your people. The God of the Bible is a missional God. And so to think like, what does it look like to glorify God? Like, yes, you can do that through competition and um, competing with excellence and effort. But if you do all of that stuff for four or five years as a Christ follower, but neglect moving towards your teammates who need to hear the life-saving message of the gospel, I think you miss an incredible opportunity to, to glorify God. If you're so focused on God, I just want to give you my all through competition and ignore the people that he has strategically placed around you for four stinking years. Mm. I just think that's a huge miss. And I think if athletes would realize that we are all missionaries, some vocationally, some not, but we're all ministers of reconciliation. We're all ambassadors which means wherever God has placed us, there are people around us that need to be reached with the gospel. And sports is such a unique opportunity where we're around these people and we experience the highs and the lows together, right? And so we have the, the high wins where we can look like somebody, look at somebody like Scotty Scheffler who just wins the masters and still has this incredible perspective that his identity is not in that. And we also have the, the losses and the injuries where we can move towards people and help have conversations about identity and what does it actually look like to put your faith in someone, something beyond sport, which will always fail to deliver on its promises. So I just think there's countless opportunities relationally that athletes, Christian athletes need to start thinking about and take advantage of. I really like you. When we talked beforehand through messaging, you referenced chapter nine in the book about riding the bench was your favorite chapter. And you tell a lot of that chapter is framed around a young woman who was a star athlete, uh, superstar really, and, and going to have this great seemingly career. And it didn't quite go that way. And you talked about how she went from on a national level, hopefully doing her thing and getting recognized and really giving God glory. But it got much, much narrowed down to more the locker room. And I think that kind of thinking, I think we just got to understand that. I'll never forget. I interviewed Jim Trestle for a magazine years ago and asked him what it was like, you know, you're speaking in front of millions of people all the time with a microphone and where that gets blown out. And he said to me, because Jeff, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a division five coach in football in Southwest Ohio, or you're the Ohio state football coach. He goes, clearly my platform is bigger, but we're basically trying to do the same thing as far as glorifying God and letting him, you know, receive the praise about what we do. And I just, I found that to be so just good to hear. So in your book, you do a great job. I was bragging to someone today about you saying how I love that you have these questions in the back. And I guess you, you had this book kind of done earlier and then you kind of redid it and it was actually something else. And you added these questions. Now they're, they're not just questions for the athlete. You have an athlete section and then you have kind of the coach parent AD section. So one of the questions you ask in a book is who have you experienced modeling, getting God glory the best? I want your answer to that question. Who do you look at? Maybe it's someone we know publicly. Maybe it's somebody at Wisconsin. Maybe it's whatever. What does that look like for you? Who has represented giving God glory the best in your mind? Yeah, I'll, I'll give three answers and then a disclaimer on all of them. <laughs> One is Brad Davison at Wisconsin, who just graduated. I got to be with him when I was at Wisconsin a few years ago and just stayed in touch via text and had a really good friendship with him 
since then. And yeah, somebody who loves Jesus deeply and sees the locker room as a mission field. And so they're one of the chaplains of the Wisconsin basketball team has mentioned that there's 11 guys and coaches that now get kind of that pre-chapel message that he puts out. When I was there, it was zero. And a lot of that is from Brad's influence. Cooper Cup, I have zero relationship with him. I know the guy who did his wedding, but I I have loved hearing his post-game interviews since his kind of Super Bowl run. The one that I love the most was his, I bring my validation to the field. I don't take it from it. Mm-hmm. And like, wow, that that's a perspective that not just Christian athletes, but all athletes need to hear that there's, there's an emptiness that comes when we try to get our validation from our performance. And then Scotty Scheffler's the the new one for me. I did not just appreciate what he said. So at the time we're doing this podcast, he had just won the masters. I loved his quotes on identity. I loved his quote on, I could go out and shoot an 82 and I could still find a way to glorify God mm-hmm. in that. But I loved his wrestling in real time. It, it was like, these were not answers that he just scripted out and said, like you could hear in his voice, just this, like he was wrestling with it. And I love that we got in a, an insider look at how he was wrestling with the theology of God and sport and what does it look like to win or lose a big event like the masters. And my disclaimer on all of that is all of these people can say and do the right things, but I don't know their hearts. Right. And so like, I, I could say, I, I think Cooper cup is doing this really well, but his heart could reveal something completely different. He could say, be saying that because I don't think this is true, but he could be saying those things because he knows there's a massive audience at the intersection of faith and sport that will just eat it up and he'll be famous on, you know, the athletes in action and FCA and sports spectrum and like all these different websites that'll pick him up and essentially turn him into a celebrity at the intersection of faith and sport. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm always just hesitant to like platform people. I want to celebrate what I hear in the moment without holding them to a standard that's maybe they didn't agree to be held to that standard. You know what I love about your answer though, is all these guys are young. I mean, you didn't say John Wooden or Tony Dungy or Tom Landry, who are great examples and and their lives clearly prove that. I mean, I don't think we've had scandals come out about those guys or Dabo Sweeney or whoever, but these are all three really young guys. I mean, the Masters winner, Scott, what's his last name again? Scheffler. Yeah, I mean, he's what, 25? I mean. I think so, yeah. And I've, I've seen multiple places where people have talked about you know, his testimony and whatnot. Hey, we're going to shift gears real quick. I like to do this thing called the rapid five questions. They're just quick, heavy hitting, light, have a little fun, but so hopefully some meat in here too. So Brian, what was your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Uh, O's cereal growing up. I still look forward in grocery stores, can never find it. Thinking about ordering it on Amazon, but O's cereal. O's? I don't even know if I've heard O's. of that. Wow. It's outstanding. Was it General It'll Mills? Or your life. General Mills or who put it out? I don't even remember. I haven't had it in so long, but I... I still look for it every time I go to the wow. store. That's, that, that, you didn't have to think too long about that. What's your favorite book besides The Christian Athlete or Desiring God that you most want to gift or have gifted to other people? Uh, I mean, the, I'm constantly giving away my own books. I lose money. I don't make money as an author. I lose money because I give so much stuff away. But the one I tell people to buy the most would either be Desiring God or Gentle and Lowly. Ooh, um, is Dane the, Orland is the newest one that I read that has been absolutely outstanding. And I tell everybody, if, you, if you're going to read one book this year, pick up Gentle and Lowly. Yeah, he's supposed to be on. We're, we're supposed to reconnect in the fall. He's supposedly going to be on here. And I read that book on sabbatical last year. And 
why a book like that has not been written before, since it's the only verse in the Bible, Matthew eleven twenty nine, where it talks about Jesus addresses his own heart. And I, you know what I love about him too? He, Dane did a great job in that book of really giving credit for other people. Like he, he was very honest, like I'm still a material for this book from the Celtics and I'm still in books from old, you know, John Owen or whoever. And mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, it was a lot of other people's material, but it was, that book killed it. That was a great book. So here's one yep. at your place in life with your kids. The, the Smith family is on vacation. Let's say you're heading south, you're heading to Florida. If you're anything like my family, wherever we think we're going to stop, there's a wreck, there's a traffic jam, there's a bathroom break that's needed. We're 10 minutes before we're supposed to get there. I'm like, forget it. We ain't stopping twice. We're stopping now. And you see these three places, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, you've probably traveled enough. We're going to throw in In-N-Out Burger. Assuming you've been there. Where do you go? I have actually never been there. I, I've heard incredible things, but I've actually never been there. Uh, um, so now we're down to two. So there's a lot of assumptions in this question, a lot of assumptions. But if, if we're <laughs> assuming that the lines are even at all these places, it's going to be Chick-fil-A for our family. If if the lines are short in one over the other, like I, and I'm the one driving most of the time, I am high efficiency. Like my, my oldest has to pee all the time. And so we bring water bottles in our car and it's like, I'm not stopping Hudson. You're peeing in the water bottle. And so like any place we can get in and out, it's, it's going to be really, really quick. So probably McDonald's depending on the line, but if we had the choice, it would be Chick-fil-A as a group. See, you said there's a lot of layers to that question or whatever, and there's a lot of things to clarify, but uh, you know, Chick-fil-A's drive-through moves pretty quick. And if you've been to some of the McDonald's I've been to, they could be two people in line and it's still going to take a long time. So I know that that's where it comes in. It's yeah. like, I know locally, if the line is like 20 deep at Chick-fil-A, it's going to be five minutes. And at McDonald's, if there's two people in front, it's going to be 10 minutes. And so you, you just don't know wherever yeah. you go in the U.S. That's true. Brian, what movie, when you see it, if you're playing with channels, you're figuring out what you're going to watch and you stumble across movie X. And I know in this day and age, streaming kind of doesn't allow that to happen as much because you just go right to what you want. But what movie, if you were to turn it on, it gets you every time and you're like, we're, we're in for the long haul. Yeah, it's either Shawshank Redemption or The Count of Monte Cristo for me. Those are the two. Wow, Shawshank is obviously great. I've never seen The Count of Monte Cristo. Better Ooh, yeah. p- put that on the list. Yes, it's outstanding. Now, here's the last one. This is always a great one. Who is your first celebrity crush? Ooh, this is a judgment-free zone, right? Oh, 100%. Okay. Avril well, Levine. 99%. Avril Lavigne, 100% Avril Lavigne. The singer. Yep. What, what about her did it for you? I I think it was the like the skater goth vibe. I was into that when I was uh, in high school. Okay. Yep. She what, was full what, on skater goth. Now, see, I, I told you I thought I knew you pretty well from a few podcasts and reading some of your book. In a million years, I wouldn't have guessed that as an answer. So I'm I'm glad already that in this podcast, I'm learning something about you because nothing. What were you going to, did you have any guesses of what you thought I would say? Your late thirties. Is that right? Yes. 39. What about like, I don't know, Alicia Silverstone or Rachel McAdams or, you know, Anne Hathaway or something like that. Yeah. Rachel McAdams would be on the list as well. She's probably on there. I always say she, Rachel McAdams to me is like every girl, like your wife, like Lindsay, your wife, and my wife, Kara would want to be best friends with her and every guy would dig her. She, she wins in every way. Like no woman would get mad at their husband for saying, yeah, I dig Rachel McAdams. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Use that later. If you need to, you can put okay, the credit thanks, on me yeah. on that yeah. one. So um, I want to talk to you a little bit about sports culture. So there's, we've talked about streaming a little bit. There's a couple documentaries out there that look, I can't remember the names right off the top. One's called trophy child. 
and it really looks at AAU and kind of this hardcore sports culture that is, you know, very me focused. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's very me, whatever. I mean, I, there's a there's a basketball tournament near us every year. It's a classic called uh, the Flying to the Hoop. It's three days, actually maybe four, in the Dayton area where there's just top-notch high school basketball all over the place. And I think with that culture, with parents, with kids, with refs, everybody, you know, it's just the money, the travel, there's some real challenges there. So where does, where does your book and where does your kind of theology fit in that when it's such a me, 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 me thing so many times? What would you speak into that culture? Because I'll tell you one Division One basketball coach I've, I've gotten to be friends with, he will say – when I go to those kind of games, he goes, I would avoid it at all costs. He goes, I'm always looking for the, the secondary gym where it's not these kids who think they're entitled to everything their parents do. I want the kid who's not quite as talented, but they're working hard. Speak to that. Yeah. I think our youth sport culture right now is, is at a, it's at a, for lack of a better word, it's at a really interesting spot where like there's this, <laughs> we place like elites on everything and there's this, this obsession with elite and getting your kids into elite. And, and I've seen some of these leagues and they are good, but they're not elite. I mean, they're, they're a little above average. <laughs> oh, what would I say about this? So for, for the person who would not call themselves a Christian or be pursuing God, like I, I wouldn't say anything about them. They can, they can do whatever they want for the person like my friend who I was just talking with two days ago, who's got a son in one of these elite leagues right now. And he was in Grand Rapids for a game. He's going to be in Iowa next week. And then Georgia after that, it's just the nature of the beast in uh, youth sports right now. And this isn't really youth. This is getting to like eighth grade, ninth grade basketball. I would encourage people to just look for opportunities to have an other centered attitude because everything, not just in sports, but everything in our world is pointing towards an autonomous self and you, 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 like the selfies we take and the, the social media we're obsessed with. And even our school system, my wife and I were talking about like everything is catered to our kids. And there's, there's some good in that, but it builds in this dangerous level of entitlement and that if we're not intentional about helping our kids see other people and look other people in the eye and see who is serving them in those spaces that they need to take time out of their day and go and shake their hand and thank them like it just breeds this this world is all about me and i I just think that's a really dangerous spot Mm. to be in my advice for parents in that space was there is that there needs to be some sort of intentional mindset when you're going out on these trips or you're in, in these spaces where you need to have two, maybe three intentional rhythms with your child where you are forcing them, lovingly forcing them to see other people, mm-hmm. to get out of this. It's all about me and we're traveling for me, but to take them out of that space and say, hey, for the next five minutes, we're going to have a conversation with this person at Chick-fil-A and just see how their day is going. But they, a lot of times they're probably going to need to see that model before they jump into it. But really anything, that's a, a dumb example, but really anything that gets them out of mom and dad are traveling for me. Yep. They're picking up my meals. They're getting me the hotel room They're you know, it's all about me. They need to see that life is 
temporarily about them for this weekend, but the bigger perspective is that there's there's more people at play in the world than just them and how they compete in this AAU tournament. Yeah, that's great. I really appreciate what you're saying there. So, Brian, we're heading towards a close here. we got a couple more things. So you have a chapter on there of coaches. I love – I think coaches – invest and probably have more impact especially if they're secondary ed or younger because they get to teach and coach and coaches just spend a lot of time with their kids you had a quote in here i really found interesting you said one thing i've noticed is most coaches who motivate their athletes by fear are not trying to motivate at all they are unloading their own anger fear and shame issues at the easiest target go tell us about that <laughs> yeah so this is from my own experience of coaches that i've had in my life interacting with college athletes who have had similar coaches. And then I'll just focus on my own self. Being a coach to my son at the youth level in basketball and football. And there is just stuff that comes out of me that that if you had a if you had me mic'd up for these games, you'd be like, why is he writing a book on Christian sports? Like why is he positioning himself as somebody who knows what they're talking about when he can't even keep his own emotions in check. And so like at one level, I, I get it. Like I understand when things go poorly in sports, just our human nature is just to like get upset and to, to lash out. I think coaches get in trouble when they, when they justify that anger though, Mm -hmm. as saying that that's just what's motivating my, my players. And like, it may be, and I do think there's, there's space from time and time again to use fear as a motivator. I think coaches need to be careful with that, but I, I all too often see coaches justifying their own Christian coaches. Okay. Justifying their own lashing out at athletes as that's just their coaching style and the method that they uh, choose to motivate. And I, in the book, I'm trying to challenge that and push back on that. Like that, that may be true, but my guess is it's just you justifying sinful habits. And I think ultimately the athletes are the ones that suffer for it because I think most athletes are not going to compete stepping outside of just the Christian way of doing it. And like this, does this optimize performance? I think most athletes, not all, but most athletes compete better when coaches motivate out of love and out of this, Hey, I'm, I'm in your corner. I want you to risk today and get after it and to know that whatever happens, I love you. I believe you. And I am, I'm in your corner, but let's get after it today instead of I'm putting you in there. And if this happens, I'm taking you out right away. Like, I just think that that type of mentality breeds this like cautiousness in athletes that will, that puts a cap on what they're, they're ultimately capable of doing. Cause if you're constantly afraid of making a mistake, that's, that's going to prevent you from taking the risks that all athletes need to take to figure out what does it mean to get to the next level. Yeah. And I oftentimes think- that comes from failure, right? You fail, you learn, you get better. You fail, you learn, you get better. But if you're under a coach who will not allow you to fail because he or she is going to take you out, you're capping the, that athlete's performance and you're, you're doing them a disservice. 
Well, and I think the other thing with that is, too, you talked about what the impact on that is with athletes. I think there's a big potential impact on parents because if that's if they got a second kid coming down the road and that's their first kid and then third or whatever, they're going to start thinking that's the norm. That's just how everybody does it if they have success versus if they don't. So I love what you were sharing there. Last thing, I love kind of someone like you talking about something like this. What have you learned, let's say, in the last year or maybe even just in 2022 about Jesus in a new, fresh way? that's really raised your game spiritually where you're maybe more in love with Jesus now than ever. Yeah. Um, the gentle and lowly was huge for me and helping, helping me to understand that when I come to Jesus in sin and kind of lay that before him, that he is not standing with his arms crossed to me, Mm. that he is actually, loving and excited and it's glorifying to him when we come to him with that posture that was a game changer for me the last couple months because we've been doing refugee foster care right now with a couple brothers from afghanistan and seeing that the gospel is still Hmm. attractive to people like Hmm. it it can be really easy for me at times to be like oh well they're not ready to hear the gospel yet these boys watch the there's a a crew film called the Jesus film. And they watched this last weekend and they were captivated by Jesus. Amen. Like at the practicing Muslims captivated by Jesus and what he did through this, through his life, death and resurrection. And so that for me, it was like, wow, Jesus, it still works. Like people can still hear the gospel for the first time and have this response of that's amazing and be moved. And so the, like the power of the gospel is something that Jesus is disciplining me on. Like this still works. I'm still safe. You know, like you don't need to come up with creative new methods. You don't need to make a film that's going to like the gospel is ultimately what changes hearts and brings people to himself. And so that's been, it's been exactly what I need in this season of life is just, I mean, the gospel is so simple, but, but so profound too. And to see like, uh, yeah, it still works in 2022. It, it still works. It's still God's primary method, his only method of bringing people to himself. It's, it's been fun to have a front row seat to some of that. Amen. I will tell you, we might, you might want us to edit that out. You started saying you don't need a film or something like that. And you're also working on a film right now. So I don't know if you want to have that taken out of there because your film is going to be important. It's good to know that God does not need that. And a reminder to me that yeah. we need to put gospel language in the film because yeah. fancy music and cinematography and great storylines are great, but it's not going to move the needle to God's kingdom. It's ultimately going to be gospel truth that does that. And so I need to preach that to myself over and over again, leave it in the podcast, Jeff. Other people need to hear me saying (laughs) that to myself. Both are important. Hey, uh, Brian, it's been great having you on here. You've been great. Compliment I would pay you is if if you and I were in the same town, I definitely want to be doing some life with you and where that fits in the world of sports for you or the world for men for me. And I try to combine those two as often as I can. Much, much kudos. I hope you get a lot, a lot of fruit. If, if people, again, want to find out more about you, I know it's the ChristianAthlete.com. But particularly if people wanted to buy, let's say, a, you know, a coach friend of mine wants to buy a bunch of books for his team. Is there a different way to go about something like that? Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, if they, if they want to find out more about me, just go to the ChristianAthlete.com. They can email me at brian.smith at athletesinaction.org. Best way to buy the book right now because it's just coming out is right through Amazon. So if you type in the Christian athlete in the search bar, it should be one of the first things that, that comes up. 
All right, well, go enjoy your office. I'm jealous as I see the back of your office. Barry Sanders jersey, some other cool stuff. Brian, hopefully we'll meet again at some point and uh, have further conversation. It's been a joy. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.